Nancy saw something in me that I never saw, if I'm being honest. He read my mail and could see through my rule-following religious junk. My life was a train wreck before I met him. I couldn't tell you where I began and where everyone else started. For the first time, someone truly saw me for who I am, not just what I've been through. For someone who loves trophies and lives for achievements, I just found myself lost, aimlessly wandering, when one boat safe, on to the next. Until I couldn't run anymore, it was like everything I never knew that I always wanted was staring at me. In the blink of an eye, my whole world changed. I can't really tell you why, but it's hard to describe when perfect love... When Jesus chose me. He chose me. He chose me. He chose me. Good morning, so glad that you're here. It's a gorgeous day if you like cool weather. And it could be worse, could be hot. But I'm so glad you're here. My name is Eric. I'm the campus pastor here at Gateway in South Austin. And you have stepped into an amazing community. This has been like an extended family for me and my family for the last 12 years. At Gateway, we love everyone, life by life. And what I love about that is it means each and every one of us is important. And we want to help you in your spiritual journey. But well, I love kind of that intro video as we're doing this series called Chosen. And I've shared this story before, but I was in Toronto several years ago and I was doing a Q&A with the leaders of this church that had invited me to come and speak. And the pastor was interviewing me and he caught me off guard. He, I was ready to expense, you know, all sorts of wisdom on leadership in this crazy world. And he asked me, well, how would you explain to someone who doesn't know Jesus what it's like to know him? And it just caught me so off guard. I was expecting, I mean, everyone in the room was already a follower of Jesus. I didn't expect that kind of question. And, and so when they share some of how they felt coming to know Jesus, I remember that moment in Toronto when I just, I almost couldn't get the words out. Like, how do you describe what it's like to experience unconditional love? How, how can you describe what it's like to finally feel forgiven? No more shame. How, how can you describe what it's like to find purpose in life, to experience a newness, a, a new life? And so I gently rebuked the pastor after, like, why did you ask me that? I didn't want to cry in front of all your leaders at the very beginning of our time together. But there was something just so beautiful about hearing people's stories of when they encountered God. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at these moments when Jesus encountered people and they were transformed. We've been looking at some of these remarkable encounters. And what I want you to realize in the midst of all of this, even though we're reading an ancient text from 2,000 years ago, God chooses you, that he's inviting you into a relationship just as real as what we're gonna read today. But here's the catch. Some of us may have grown up in a religious environment, maybe even grew up going to a Christian church, and you might be in danger of thinking you've got it all figured out, that this message isn't even for you. I wanna 
they encourage you to have an open heart, open mind. That if you think you've got it all figured out, then you haven't grown enough. That there's more that God has for you. There's more that he wants to do in you and through you. And what we're looking at today is the story of a religious man, a religious leader named Nicodemus. And maybe you're a little bit like him. You've gotten into religious habits. But God wants to do something different in you. And it's going to be uncomfortable. For me, growing up, going to church, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where everyone goes to church, or at least they tell everyone they do, at least back in the 80s. And I loved it in many ways. I'm grateful for the foundation of faith that I had growing up. But I began to start to see some of the challenges of growing up in a church environment. I went to a Christian college also here in Texas. I won't tell you the name, but the rank number three you play at six o'clock tonight. <laughs> Won the national championship two years ago. But in this case, this is not a, a good Baylor story. Oh, I said it. When I was there in the early 90s, I remember going to the cafeteria after church and everyone was dressed up. And I remember talking to a few of my friends and they were like, yeah, I get dressed up for lunch. So it looks like I went to church. And I thought, okay, that's, that's not exactly the heart behind all of this, right? To, to look like you went to church. And I remember in my high school years, in my youth group, we could do whatever we wanted to on Saturday night, just don't talk about it on Sunday. Kind of a don't ask, don't tell on Sunday. And so there were certain things about growing up in a churchianity environment that actually wasn't healthy. I remember thinking that our job as Christians was to make money and give 10% to the church so the pastor could go out and do ministry. But I began to discover that, that God was inviting me, all of us who follow Jesus, into an adventure where we can be a part of seeing lives transformed, even of those we love the most. That we can be a part of it. See, God has a plan for each and every one of us, and he invites us to trust him, to follow him. And not to check off some spiritual box, not to have all the right beliefs in our head, but to have a, a transformative experience in our heart. Believing the right things, but not being transformed is not the goal. God cares about our hearts and who we are becoming in our relationship with him. And he uses things that sometimes don't fit into our religious boxes to stretch us spiritually. And so I want you just to consider, there may be some things that you grew up with. I have to tell you, I ended up going to college and then on to move to Seattle, which is the complete furthest away in America, at least from churchianity and Southern churches. Up there, they were proud not to be a Christian. In fact, in Seattle, when I first got there, I got a job delivering uh, as a delivery guy, which is difficult when they're, this is way before GPS. Any of you remember Thomas Guides? It was so dangerous. It's just this big, thick book that you would like turn to, and then you'd be watching you know, where you're going, and then you'd have to turn 30 pages to get to where you're going next. It's hard to explain. Uh, I'm sure they went out of business at some point with GPS. 
But here's how they taught me how to understand the names of the street in downtown Seattle. It, it creates an acronym. And you can remember that the first initial of all the streets, the acronym is Jesus Christ made Seattle under protest. That's what they teach the kids and delivery guys in order to remember the names of the streets. So this is a very anti-Christian place, a lot like Austin can be. And while I was there, I had to kind of deconstruct some of the religious chains that I was carrying with me and discover who Jesus really wanted to be according to the scriptures. And so that's my encouragement to you is that today I want you to open your mind and open your heart to what God might want to do in you that's bigger and better than you could have ever imagined. It's more than just showing up on a Sunday. It's more than just praying before your meals. It's more than just the things that we do. It's something that God wants to do in our hearts. He wants to do something in us and something through us. There's a great series we've been talking about. It's called The Chosen. We're going to watch a brief scene introducing Nicodemus. Now, this scene we're about to see is not in the Bible, but it's a beautiful possibility of how Nicodemus may have gotten to the place that we'll then read in John chapter 3. But watch for a moment Nicodemus as he encounters a woman named Mary of Magdalene. It's you. It's real. Lilith. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I, I minister to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But you were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. I'm, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I'm a man of God. And I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. Are you really a Pharisee? Yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't... I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. So how do you know who I am? You really don't remember me at all. I burned incense? I don't remember. It's all a blur. I can't go back into that. No, no, I don't want you to. I can't even imagine. But you you are healed. That, that much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. It makes two of us. How long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. It was so. Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? 
He performs miracles and seeks no credit. What does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I, I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> spoil the plot, but the name of the person that healed her is Jesus. It's this amazing possibility. We know Nicodemus saw miracles and heard of miracles. And so this is now on Netflix, but you can also download their app if you want to watch the show. It's so good. I've shared this before. My daughter and I are in the last episode of season two and the first episode of season three. We're in the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount. But I love this show because I feel like it's doing such a good job of helping us understand what it may have been like. I just know this. I love that line, right? I'm completely different than I was before and what happened in between was him. Here's the actual story with Jesus and Nicodemus, chapter 3 of John. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. I want to pause right there because it would be really easy to just skip right past this. It's unbelievable that this was happening. Nicodemus was a member of the religious elite, the Sanhedrin, made up of 70 of the most respected, most powerful men in Jewish society. The group of Pharisees that would actually go on to conspire to have Jesus crucified by the Romans. The fact that Nicodemus even wants to meet with Jesus is fascinating. And that Jesus would say yes to this cloak and dagger meeting with the enemy is insightful. That's why it says it happened after dark. Nicodemus was undercover. He could not be seen talking to Jesus. Or he'd be kicked out of the Sanhedrin. He could lose everything and he had a lot to lose. See, religion and politics were intermingled back then. Too intermingled sometimes today. But in this case, the Sanhedrin were the well-respected in the religion of Judaism. They had power and money and the ear of Rome. They were the pastors, the Supreme Court, and the Congress. And you can imagine what all that power could do to a person. This is the background that helps us understand the miracle that's about to unfold. No doubt Nicodemus grew up going to church or synagogue. He did all the right religious things. He understood the Bible. He, he made all the right moral decisions. He was a part of the group keeping Israel pure and unstained from the immoral pagan Roman culture. But Pharisees hated the Romans and Samaritans. These were Jews who actually married Gentiles and their babies were considered unclean Samaritans. They also had the wrong kind of beliefs. They also kind of hated the Sadducees. They were the liberal religious leaders who didn't believe in the resurrection. 
although the Pharisees did. And of course, they really hated the tax collectors. These were Jewish people who were now working for the Roman government and often skimming off the top. And they really hated the sinners, the immoral drunkards, the promiscuous people. They believed that they were the reason that Rome was now oppressing them. God gave them over to Rome because of the sinful people all around them. They saw their God-given job as morally shoehorning people back into right behavior and correct doctrine. That was his mindset. That was the mindset of a religious Pharisee. And maybe that sounds familiar to you. It's kind of what you grew up experiencing. And that's why we need to learn from Nicodemus' story. See, it's important to understand that cultural Christianity, being religious, going to church, none of these actually equal a relationship with God. A relationship with God starts in the heart and transforms how we think and how we live and how we act. So then along comes Jesus. And if you read the Gospels, you'll notice Jesus often clashed with the religious leaders. I mean, he was, in some ways, sounds like really mean to the religious leaders. But ironically, that's exactly what would help them see the error of their ways. See, when someone is struggling with pride, it's a blind spot. When you think you're not dealing with pride, you're probably dealing with pride. <laughs> See, Jesus didn't follow the traditions that they had developed because they were man-made. And so they were constantly going after Jesus. And they prided themselves in keeping their own rules, but didn't follow God's law of love. Matthew 23 Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the scriptures. So practice and obey whatever they say to you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. Jesus was honest, brutally honest with the religious leaders. And many did not like it. Now, if we put ourselves in their shoes, we have to remember that sometimes it's not the sins of commission that keep us stuck. Maybe there's things that you used to do that you have now overcome. Then you need to be careful to avoid the sins of omission, the things that we fail to do that are right. The times when God is inviting us into making an impact. See, the religious leaders had religion down, but they were missing the compassion and mercy of God for a hurting world. See, religion often develops traditions or ways that are not necessarily God's ways, but they get co-opted and presented as such. That's when religion gets in the way of actually following God's spirit. Nicodemus has seen Jesus' miracles and he knows that the Pharisees are feeling that their power and security are being threatened because more and more are turning to Jesus rather than to them. And so Nicodemus has this clandestine meeting with Jesus and says this, back to John 3. Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? 
How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? This sounds absurd to Nicodemus. He's offended. What do you mean? Crawl back into your mom's womb. This is a terrible image and thoughts, right? But Jesus is actually testing his religious assumptions, seeing if he's willing to humble himself and to really learn from Jesus. Jesus knows that Nicodemus has religion down pat, but Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to start a revolution. A revolution that begins with the overthrow of self as king on the throne. To letting God, the rightful king, be on the throne of every life following God's spirit. That's how God's kingdom comes. And Jesus does it in kind of a shock jock kind of way. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It starts with full surrender, full surrender of control that can only be likened to being born all over again, starting over completely. That's what he means. Jesus disrupts all of Nicodemus's assumptions about what God might be up to. And here's the point. He was teaching Nicodemus and the big idea for this message today that I hope you take away with you. God cares more about heart transformation than behavior modification. God is concerned with your heart. You may not make the same immoral choices you used to, but do you look down on those who do? Do you think of others as less than you, not as spiritual as you, not as dialed in as you? Or do you have compassion for those around you? Do you have a desire to help people with where they are, get to where God wants them to be? Have you ever noticed that Jesus tends to be disruptive? He doesn't seem to go according to what you would think he would do. Now, if that doesn't make you a little bit uncomfortable, then you don't fully understand it yet. See, Jesus, who is God, loves to disrupt our safe, secure, comfortable, I've got it all figured out kind of life. See, God is in a subtle way, invasive, intrusive, and has a very subliminal way of pointing out what we don't see. Let me give you another example of an encounter with Jesus. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. We don't know his name, we just know that he's wealthy. In many ways, that's possibly because that's where his identity was in his wealth. And he asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the Ten Commandments, which are summed up as love God and love people. And he says, oh, that's great. I've done all that. But he's completely deceived. He's missed it. He's playing a religious game of, look, I follow all the rules. But he was missing the heart of the whole thing. Love for God needs to be our motive in how we live our life. Love for others is what love for God sends us out to do. The first commandment, don't love anything above God, was where he was falling short. And Jesus knows that, and so he says to him, go, sell all you have, give to the poor and follow me, and you'll have riches eternally. The guy walks away upset. He missed what Jesus was putting his finger on first, his first love was not for God, but 
for his wealth. Jesus, in a subtle way, puts his finger in the wound and says, let me heal this. Jesus does that to us. He taught in parables in order to, in a subtle way, point out places where those listening were stuck, places where they might be blind to. We might not see things as clearly, just as the rich young ruler did not see what he was missing. We're all in danger of letting something else be what we make most important in our life. It could be something else. It could be someone else. Maybe we do find ourselves with at the center of our life, the pursuit of wealth, or maybe it's our career, or maybe it's our spouse, or maybe it's our pursuit of a spouse. Maybe it's our children or our pursuit of having children. Here's the irony. If you would surrender all that you want, desire, all the things that you long for to God, he will actually help you when he's at the center of your life become someone who can love better as a spouse, as a parent, to be better in your career. When he's at the center of our lives, he will guide us to become the best version of who he created us to be. See, what assumptions might God want to test in you? Is God in a subtle way pointing something out? It, it could even be a gift from God. Sometimes we allow good gifts from God to become our gods and they become most important. I want to do something maybe a little bit different. Just pause for just a moment. I just want you to have a moment where you can ask God this question. God, is there something you're trying to show me that I'm not seeing? Give me eyes to see and a humble heart to trust you. Just now, in the silence of this moment, just ask God, God, show me. Is there something I'm missing? What comes to mind? Perhaps this is a place where God wants you to trust him. A place where he wants to heal you. Let's look now at John chapter 3 verse 5. Jesus replied, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? Jesus is testing Nicodemus' assumptions about what it means to be a, a good Jewish boy, or in our case, a good Christian. It's not about keeping the rules or looking a certain way or jumping through religious hoops to prove you're doing the right thing. Remember, God cares more about heart transformation than behavior modification. And here's the beautiful thing. The more you fall in love with God, the more you want to live the way he desires. But it's from the right place, the right motives. And Jesus explains that the Holy Spirit is what gives us new life and guides us. And that adventure that he's inviting us into is led by the Spirit of God. And he uses the image, in fact, the word in the original Hebrew for spirit is the same as the word for wind. 
I love this idea. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. I mean, just the other night when it was pouring rain, at least it was in our house over here in Shady Hollow, I woke up that next morning and never felt one raindrop. I could hear the rain, but what I saw the results of was the wind. Some of those dangling branches that had never fallen were now on the ground, pollen everywhere. You can see the results of the wind. Walking by God's spirit is what I believe Jesus is asking Nicodemus to do and what he's inviting you and me to do. This is one of those things that I had to learn and figure out. After having thought I had it all sorted out, I had a college degree, I was now working at a church in Seattle, I started to understand that there was more God had for me and that was listening to his voice, listening to the spirit of God. And so I've shared this story so many times, but it, it's because it's kind of one of the first moments where I, I started hearing God, started trying to become a person of the spirit, person of the wind. I was walking into a bookstore and I saw a guy standing in the new age section. This was at a half price books before they were in Texas. This is like 1994, before many of you were born, <laughs> when people used to read books. And so I walk in this bookstore, and there's a guy standing in the New Age section, and I have this thought, buy that man a Bible. Now, some of you know, I was raised by very cheap parents. And so my initial thought was, no, why would I buy this guy a Bible? He's not even in the Bible section. And then I had this other thought, the thought came back, buy this man a Bible. So I just kept going and I thought, wait a minute, I've been asking God to speak to me, is this maybe God? Because it's certainly not something I would think of. <laughs> and so I went to the man and almost acted like I worked there. And I said, excuse me, uh, can I help you find something? And he said, yes, I'm actually here on a spiritual quest. And my heart started racing, oh my gosh. I said, well, if I were to buy you a Bible, would you be open to reading? And he said, well, yeah, sure. And I explained to him, well, you want to start with the Gospel of John. And so I started walking with him over to the religion section. And then I had this very cheap prayer. God, help him choose something not leather-bound. <laughs> and I got closer. There's some really expensive Bibles over there. And God answered my prayer. He grabbed the paperback. And God has grace for us all. And then I walked up and paid for it. There's probably $10. And I wrote on the receipt my name, my phone number, my email address. We did have email, but just barely back then. And I gave it to him and I told him, I would love to get together and hear what happens for you as you continue on this spiritual quest. And I reiterated, don't forget, read the Gospel of John. He writes it to help us believe. He's like, oh, that's great. And he left. A day went by, I heard nothing. Another day went by, nothing. I was waiting for this phone call. I wanted the, the end of the story to be, I read it, and now I'm following Jesus and moving to the Middle East to be a missionary. Like, this is something like that. And after a week, I had not heard a thing, and I remember praying, God, why would you have me do that if there's nothing that's going to happen from it? And then I had another thought. 
I wanted to see if you were listening. Now, I don't think those thoughts. By the way, over the years, I've discovered that God's thoughts are those that are selfless, require courage, and consistent with his character. And God wants to invite you into that same sort of adventure. Where every day you can wake up and say, God, what adventure do you have for me? Would you speak to me? Help me to hear you. And when we spend time in scripture, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time in worship, when we spend time serving others with others, when we spend time in our groups, these are opportunities to help move us forward. When we come on Sundays, I always encourage anyone I can, come on Sundays and asking God, God, what do you have for me and what do you want from me? Every Sunday. And you'll be amazed at what he might do in and through you. What's beautiful is the rest of the story. Of course, Nicodemus is frustrated at this point. He says, how is this possible? What are you talking about, Jesus? Which I want to just point out. Whenever you're frustrated with God, that's a good place to pause and look deeper. Consider what is God trying to show you? See, God honors that patient, deeper waiting on his wisdom. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, here's how this is possible. It's not about religious traditions like you've thought. It's something so much more. And then one of the most famous verses from the scriptures, John 3, 16, and I want to add 17, says this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Notice that last line. Jesus is talking to a very judgmental religious leader. If anyone could judge us, and one day he will, it's Jesus. But when he came, he did not come to judge the world, but to save the world through his sacrifice. See, religion says, I have to. A life in the spirit says, I get to. Rules in the hands of religion can be burdensome, heavy, and shame-inducing. But rules in the hands of Jesus can become a breath of fresh air and freedom from the slavery of sin. A new way to be human. Life hacks. See, what eventually happens, if you know the rest of the story... Nicodemus kind of disappears from that moment. And he doesn't reappear in the story until the very end after Jesus is crucified. Nicodemus and another member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, actually were there to take care of his body. It was Joseph of Arimathea's family tomb where Jesus was placed, but not for long, as he rose from the dead. See, God chose you. He's inviting you into something beautiful. He cares about your heart being transformed more than behavior modification, which comes and goes. It's not sustainable without his help. The band is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song. It's a new song. But I want to create a moment for you to connect with God. As the band comes, and I promise they're going to come. They're going to play a song called Let My Life Be Worship. And the song is a prayer asking God to help us focus on him and his goodness in our lives. So that how we live honors him. See, singing is the easiest form of worship. 
man, you can sing your heart out in this moment and cuss out the other drivers around you on the way home. But what if singing matches how we treat those around us, even those that are having a bad day, those are not treating us properly. See, there's a spiritual principle that Jesus introduced when he said, if you lose your life serving me, that's how you'll find your life. In other words, if your relationship with God becomes your priority, even more so than your job, your kids, your marriage, dare I say it, your religion, you will actually become a better employee, employer, parent, spouse, person who follows Jesus. So as the band sings, let this be a holy moment, a moment set apart. That's what the word holy means. That you can connect with God. Let the words wash over you or use it as a time to pray, asking him to speak to you. Let him reorient your heart towards his love for you and who he's calling you.